Well, welcome. Are we glad to have you spend your evening with us? And um, I think it was 2005 or 2006 when Cynthia came here for the first time. And I have to say, it was a pleasure having my favorite author and my favorite worship female person, <laughs> lady. Um, so I can say that again. I can't say worship leader alone. I'll get in trouble with my husband. So I better not. <laughs> but I want to thank everyone for being here. And um, I know some of you are familiar with Cynthia, and some of you are not. But um, Cynthia and Jack has been married for a long time. <laughs> And um, they have four children, and I know she'll tell you more about it. But what I want to share more about Cynthia that is very important is her passion for the Lord, her passion for women, to see women grow in Christ. And um, it was uh, about, I would say, maybe 29 or 30 years ago, my first ever Bible study I did was becoming a woman of excellence. And I still haven't gotten there. But hopefully when I come face to face with my Savior, I'll be there. But um, I want to encourage you, if you do not or have not done any of Chris, um, Cynthia's study, get her books. You'll be blessed. You'll be very blessed. But we're so grateful always to have Cynthia with us. She's so warm and easy. Get to know her if you have the opportunity. And um, she's a very loving person. And we're so glad that she always never refuses to come to Grace. So we thank for so Cynthia. Please come and share. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ambika, so much. I, when anyone says very kind things like that. I always say, you need to come live with me before you say anything like that. <laughs> it's so special. To, it, it's the highest compliment to be asked back. So thank you all for asking me to come back. I, I mentioned, I feel like I come back to family. And I, so this is very, very special for me. Thank you so much. Let me pray for us. Lord, um, we do thank you for how you bind our hearts together in fellowship and how we can you orchestrate all of us to be together and and lord you've orchestrated all of us to be together tonight and we thank you for that i just pray that we would sense your presence that you would be able to really speak to our hearts in a special way lord and that you would bless our time in jesus name amen The light turned yellow just in front of him. He did the right thing, stopping at the crosswalk, even though he could have beaten the red light by accelerating through the intersection. But the tailgating woman was furious and honked her horn, screamed in frustration as she missed her chance to get through the intersection, dropping her cell phone and makeup. As she was still in mid-rant, she heard a tap on her window and looked up into the face of a very serious police officer. 
The officer ordered her to exit her car with her hands up. He took her to the police station and sat her down and left. After a while, he came back <coughs> and escorted her to the booking desk where the officer was waiting to talk with her. He said, I'm very sorry for the mistake. You see, I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn and yelling at the guy in front of you. I noticed your what would Jesus do bumper sticker, the choose life license plate holder, the follow me to Sunday school bumper sticker, and the chrome plated Christian fish emblem on the trunk. So naturally, I assumed you had stolen the car. <laughs> Our time together tonight and tomorrow is, is, you all, I've discovered over the years that the only reason God has me speak is because I need to hear what I have to say. And so I'm speaking to myself tonight, particularly on uh, living like Jesus. After Jesus ascended to heaven, Peter and John were arrested and put into jail for teaching about the resurrection of Jesus and for healing a crippled man. When they appeared before the council, the council demanded for them to tell them by what power they did this. And Peter and John proclaimed that there was salvation in no one else but Jesus. Well, and and so they said, we cannot help but tell what we have seen and heard. And And the council said... They could tell that he that these men had been with Jesus. There was a woman who was ministering in a prison, a woman's prison, and she just went in and started speaking to the women and having conversations with them. And this one woman was very hard and very skeptical. But every week when this woman come in, she would, she would watch this woman come and talk to the different inmates. Finally, after three months, this woman came up to the missionary. And this is what she said to her. She said, I want what you have. In Romans 8:29, we're told, "For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son." God's whole purpose for us is to make us like Jesus Christ. That's what this says. Another translation says, "For whom for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of Christ." This is what God is after in our life: is to make us like Jesus. In Ephesians 5, we're told, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice to us, a pleasing aroma to God. So we are to imitate God in everything we do. 
John 13. So now I'm giving you, you know what? I think I have the wrong PowerPoint. I do. You all? I'm so glad we're family. <laughs> Let me get the other. I, I thought something is wrong here. Let me get this other. Just a sec. Sorry. Okay. This may make more sense. I think. It doesn't. Okay. I thought. All right, here we go. I'm so excited. I got the right one now. You all, I'm, I'm, I hope you're not scared. I'm getting senile. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. What is it? I love what someone said. Sometimes I forget. Oh, no. Everyone has a photographic memory, but not everyone has film. So, <laughs> yeah, I got it. Yeah, I got it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Living like Jesus. Okay. So now we're going to find out what, uh, from the council. I thought, what happened to that? Acts 14, 413. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no specific training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. And this is what we want people to say about us. They say, they want to, we want them to recognize that we have been with Jesus. So, Romans 8, 29. This is in the message translation, our Bible. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son, which is what we just talked about, Romans 8, 29. Now, this is by... Schimmel Pinnock, and I'm, I'm thankful I was not married to him to have that last name. <laughs> but this is such a good quotation. He said this, I believe that no divine truth can truly dwell in any heart without an external testimony in manner, bearing, and appearance that must reach the witness within the heart of the beholder and bear an unmistakable, though silent, evidence of the eternal principle from which it emanates. Now, in a roundabout way, what he's saying is people ought to be able to tell there's something different about us. That the divine truth that is dwelling in our hearts should have an external testimony in the way in our manner, our bearing, and appearance. I was told as a young believer by a dear woman who mentored me. She said, Cynthia, within 15 minutes of someone meeting you, they ought to be able to tell that there's something different about you. And they want to know why. Why is it that they can sense that there's a difference in your manner, your bearing, and your appearance. 
I was reading through the scriptures, and I like what someone said. The scripture shall stand a thousand readings, and those who have gone over it most often are the surest of finding new wonders there. And so it was a couple of years ago, I was just reading through First John, which I've read many, many times. And I came across this verse, these verses. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Now, this, these are two prime verses as far as I'm concerned. Those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. And those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. As I stopped and looked at those verses, I thought, that, that's pretty plain, isn't it? <laughs> Those who say they live in God, those who say they know Jesus, should live as Jesus lived. So I've been trying to put these verses into practice, into my life. Robert Murray McChaney was a pastor in the 1840s in Dundee, Scotland. And he wrote this. It is not great talents God blesses so much as great likenesses to Jesus. This was typical of McCheney, for likeness to Jesus was the emphasis of his life and ministry. I heard you preach last Sabbath evening, a stranger wrote him, and it pleased God to bless that sermon to my soul. It was not so much what you said... As your manner of speaking that struck me, I saw in you a beauty and holiness that I never saw before. I thought, what a blessing for someone to be able, again, to detect by your manner that there's a beauty of the Lord in your life. How many of you um, know of Henrietta Mears? She was a a dear woman who had a powerful ministry at First Presbyterian Church um, here in California, in Hollywood, wasn't it? Am I right? I think so. Good. Thank you. (laughs) Um, When she first arrived at First Presbyterian, there were 450 students in the Sunday school. Two and a half years later, there were 4,200 she, she went in and she started Gospel Light Publications and she was a, a wonderful teacher and had a great heart for God. She taught the church's college age class herself. She was a fun-loving person with a great sense of humor. She wore fancy hats and painted her car canary yellow and Kelly green because her college boys liked it flashy. I wanted to talk about Henrietta Mears because being like Jesus doesn't mean you never do anything fun or that you're not fun to be with. Her students loved her, and in turn, she taught them to love the Lord. Among her students were Bill Bright, who founded Campus Crusade for Christ, and Billy Graham. In fact, Billy Graham said, this is what... Um, he said, besides 
his wife Ruth and his mother. No woman beside his mother and his wife had influenced him as much as Henrietta had. Henrietta Mears died in 1963. She never became a missionary, but she taught others who touched more lives than she ever could have on her own. And she was just a very godly woman who lived as Jesus lived. I think we can only begin to live as Jesus lived if we're willing to let him take control of our lives. One of my favorite verses is Galatians 2.20, where it says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Until we surrender our lives to God, then I don't think he can really begin to transform us into the image of his son. I read about Robertson McQuilkin. He wrote a book entitled A Promise Kept. And as I read the book, I flipped back to see about the author. And the first thing it had about the author was that he was a homemaker. And I was intrigued. And so as I read the book, this, this is, and then after the homemaker, it said this. McQuilkin is also the former president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary, a former missionary to Japan, as well as a writer and conference speaker. How did this teacher of ethics and hermeneutics become a homemaker? And this is his story. Robertson's wife, Muriel, the mother of six children, was the host of a radio program, a gifted artist, a counselor, and a wonderful helper to her husband. At the age of 55, though, she began to exhibit signs of early Alzheimer's. Over the years, as the disease progressed and Muriel became more dependent on her husband, Robertson realized that he needed to resign his position at the college and be available for his wife. In his letter of resignation, he explained, My dear wife Muriel has been in failing mental health for about 12 years. Recently, it has become apparent that Muriel is contented most of the time when she is with me and almost none of the time that I'm away from her. It is not just discontent. She is filled with fear that she has lost me and always goes in search of me when I leave home. So it is clear to me that she needs me now full time. She has cared for me fully and sacrificially all these years. And if I cared for her for the next 40 years, I would not be out of her debt. Duty, however, can be grim and stoic. But there is more. I love Muriel. She is a delight to me. I don't have to care for her. I get to. It is a high honor to care for such a wonderful person. And I was struck with this man's surrender to the Lord to do what he did for his wife. And he was, you know, people would come up to him and say, but the Lord needs you to do what you need to do. And you have such a ministry. You can't do that. And he said, oh, but I, this, is what I, this is what I want to do. This is what I need to do. And I think that is such a beautiful example of someone who was willing to die to themselves and let Christ live in them. 
Oswald Chambers says, the proof that I've been through crucifixion with Jesus is that I have a decided likeness to him. The incoming of the spirit of Jesus into me readjusts my personal life to God. The resurrection of Jesus has given him authority to impart the life of God to me. I can have the resurrection life of Jesus now, and it will show itself in holiness. It's the greatest thing to, and it's to allow Jesus Christ to live in you. And I was 26 years old. And it was in 19, so you're going to know how old I am, and you have to do the math. Uh, it was in 1965, and I asked Jesus to take control of my life. I, I knew him, but I didn't know him as Lord. And that was a very significant day in July of 1965 that I sur- totally surrendered my life to God. And bless his heart, he's been trying oh, all these years now to conform me to the image of Christ. But it's so important that we do this. I, I mean, I don't think McQuilkin could have done that, except God was in him, motivating him and prompting him to do this. S.D. Gordon said, The Holy Spirit, when given a free hand, works out the fullness of the life that has been put in. Your one business will be to let him have full control. This was illustrated to me in a vivid way. Years ago, I was flying from Tucson to Philadelphia to speak. And we had been delayed in Chicago because there was a storm in Philadelphia So we sat out on the tarmac for a couple of hours. Finally, the pilot said, we have permission to fly, and uh, we'll get you there as soon as we can. We got to Philadelphia, and the pilot came on, the intercom, and said, ladies and gentlemen, the storm is still over Philadelphia. We do not have permission to land, and we've been asked to circle. It's one of my favorite activities is (laughs) circle. So we began, and so about every 10 minutes, the pilot would come on again and said, ladies and gentlemen, we still do not have permission to land. We will continue to circle. I'll keep you updated. So this went on for about at least 30 minutes. And every time the pilot said that we couldn't land, I was in the middle seat, and there was a man on my left and a man on my right. The man on my left was was just so angry and frustrated and upset. And these are his words. He said, I'm never flying this airline again. I'm going to be late for my appointment. I'm going to be in rush hour traffic. And he was just so upset, bless his heart. And he's just fidgeting around. Well, because we had circled for so long, uh, the man on my right got sick. He got the little white bag. and uh, So I'm sitting between these two men, and I'm thinking, you know what, Lord? I don't like circling Philadelphia. But I realize I have a choice in how I'm going to respond. 
And I have the choice of getting angry because life is not going my way. It's not performing the way I want it to perform. (laughs) I'm not getting what I want. Or I have the choice of allowing circumstances to overwhelm me and kind of debilitate me. And I have friends who have allowed life to do that in their lives, that they just kind of give up and they just sort of limp through life. But as I sat there thinking about all this, I thought, Lord, you know what? In 1965, I gave my life to you. I surrendered my life to you. It's not my life anymore. It's your life. And so I told God that day, I said, God, if it pleases you for me to circle Philadelphia, it pleases me. And I think this is a sense what McQuilkin did. God, if, if it pleases you for me to minister to my wife and stay with her full time and be a homemaker, then it pleases me. And this is, this is what happens is when we let him have full control. He begins to use us and conform us to the image of his son. So, Lewis Evley says this, Christianity is neither contemplation nor action. It is participation. If you participate in God in the sense that you let yourself be penetrated by him, you will go to the cross like him, you will go to work like him, you will clean shoes, do the washing up and the cooking, all like him. You cannot do otherwise because you will have become part of him. You will do what he loves to do. I, uh, I probably shared this a couple of times that I've been here, but it's, it just fits right in. I, I was home and I was doing some writing and I got up and I was going to make me some tea. But Jack, my husband, was home, so I stopped by his little office, and I said, I'm going to make some tea. Would you like a cup of tea? And he thought for a moment, and he said, you know, I think I'd really rather have some hot chocolate. Well, we we don't have instant hot chocolate. I had the cocoa, and, you know, you do the milk and the cocoa and the sugar and heat it all up and mess up a pan and do all that stuff. And so... Bless Jack's heart. I just looked at him and I said, you know what? I'm just making tea. (laughs) I was not living like Jesus. It's just, I mean, it's the little things that, see, if, if Jesus has become a part of us, then we will do what he loves to do, which is serve for one thing. Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now, you all, that is so clear again. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Manning said this, do it then. As to the Lord, let the thought of his eye unseen 
be the motive of your acts and words. Do nothing you would not have him see. Say nothing which you would not have said before his visible presence. This is do all in his name. So we're told in Colossians, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I have that verse in my heart for God to kind of prompt me as much as he can to have tenderhearted mercy uh, to make hot chocolate. Oswald Chambers says the expression of Christian character is not good doing, but God-likeness. God's life in us expresses itself as God's life, not human life trying to be godly. And and this is the power of Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is... The only way we can do this, and we can only have Christ living in us and prompting us and, and leading and guiding us as our shepherd when we have surrendered our life to him. So it's the unguarded moments of your life. It's the unguarded moments of my life when I'm not in a Bible study or I'm not in church or I'm not with a group of my friends. It's when I'm home with Jack a lot of time. So do the grocery clerks detect by my actions and manner that there's something different about me? Am I kind to someone who serves me? I I went uh, after Christmas to um, exchange some jewelry Jack had given me. I'm... I'm draped with Brighton right now, and um, he gave me some this this necklace and um, these earrings, and I and he gave me a bracelet to go with, but the bracelet was really large, so I needed to exchange it, and so I went in the store, and I I'm not a big jewelry person and so I I went in and so I was looking around and this dear lady came over and said can I help you and so I I told her you know I was just needing to exchange this bracelet well bless her heart she showed me just about every bracelet in the store and they were all too big and um so I said, well, maybe I ought to look at earrings. And so I started looking at earrings. And then I said, well, maybe I ought to look at another necklace. And I mean, you all, I was just. So finally, I settled on something. I think it was one of these necklaces. Because she said to wear two necklaces is good now, I guess. So <laughs> here I am. <clears throat> so I went to buy the. Uh, make the exchange. And so she's in your name and your dress and all this stuff. And then she, she was doing that. And then she looked up at me and she said, are you Cynthia healed? And I immediately thought, Oh dear. (laughs) Was I nice to her? (laughs) 
was I kind? Was I was I awful? I mean, what, and I almost said no. <laughs> but I thought, oh my goodness, um, you never know who's watching or who might know you, and. Um, and I thought, oh, dear. I, I, and so I said to her, I said, oh, you're so sweet to, to recognize me. I hope I've been nice to you. <laughs> so when I'm eating in a restaurant, does the server sense my kindness and care for, for that person, for the one who's serving me? Um, when I'm at my home, uh, do I speak in, as I would speak if Jesus was visibly present? Charles Spurgeon said that we must give everyone that we meet a drink of water. And I, I, I am trying so hard to do that. To anyone I meet, I will say, how's your day going today? And, and, and then I'll say, I, I, there was one clerk, I, I asked her, how's your day going today? And she, her son was in the hospital and getting ready to have surgery. And, and I just said, oh, can I pray for you? And I, I mean, I'm just trying, you all, that's not me. But I'm trying to give everyone I meet a, a, a drink of water, a taste of Jesus. And I, I, I try as much as I can to anyone I meet to say, as I leave them, whether, I mean, I just say, God bless you. <laughs> and to try to be Jesus as I can to as many people that cross my path. I, I don't know this dear man's initials, but that's what, who he is, A.C.A. Hall. <laughs> but he wrote this. In my daily life, I am to ask how would Christ have acted in my circumstances? How would Christ fulfill my duties, do my work, fill my place, meet my difficulties, turn to account all my capacities and opportunities? This is to be the law and inspiration of my whole life, not only of my outward acts, but of all my inward thoughts and desires. There is to be a manifestation of the divine nature in me. Oswald Chambers said this. We have to keep letting go and slowly and surely the great full life of God will invade us in every part. And men will take knowledge of us that we have been with Jesus. Jim Cimbala is the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in New York. And he was greatly influenced by a pastor whose name was Howard Goss. Years later, he happened to meet, to meet Howard Goss's son. And he had a, a great time just visiting with him and asking him about his dad. And this is what Cimbala wrote from what the son said. You know, Pastor, my dad really walked with God. He was so unusual compared to most of the ministers I saw while growing up. He was quite famous in his circle of churches, and everybody wanted him to speak, especially at those huge summer camp meetings. 
He was a good writer and became an elder statesman to a multitude of younger preachers and congregations. But all the acclaim and popularity, all the invitations and compliments never affected him except to make him more humble before God. I'll never forget one big camp meeting up in Canada where I was a kid. Every famous preacher was invited, and the crowds were tremendous. Our family arrived a day early, and the leaders were making out the schedule for the speakers. Meetings were held all day long, morning, afternoon, and night. And the visiting preachers all wanted to speak during the night rallies when the crowds were the largest. The preachers actually jockeyed around, hoping to get the biggest meetings for their preaching assignments. Suddenly, one of the leaders asked where my father was. He was in the prime of his ministry and was highly respected by everyone. They wanted to consult with him, but no one seemed to know where he was. They finally heard that he was last seen in the kitchen, dining hall area, so I went with them to find him. They could scarcely believe their eyes when they got to the kitchen. There was my dad on his hands and knees, scrubbing the floor with some other workers. Brother Goss, they said, what are you doing here? We're making out the preaching schedule and wanted to know your preference. Oh, brothers, my dad replied, you've got so many good preachers here that you don't need to worry about me. But I found out that they're short of help here in the kitchen, so I thought I'd lend a hand. And I thought, what a godly man who lived like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. We'll talk a little bit more tomorrow about how the Spirit makes us more and more like him. But this is, again, what God wants to do in our life, is to make us more and more like Jesus. So, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. I want us to just take a few minutes now to meditate on these questions, and then I'll close in prayer. It is not a question of whether God is willing to sanctify me. Is it my will? Am I willing to let God do in me all that has been made possible by the atonement? Am I willing to let Jesus be made sanctification to me and to let the life of Jesus be manifested in my mortal flesh? Let's pray as you meditate on these questions.